HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Uptown Beer Society, a craft beer gang dedicated to making memorable collaborations with New York City brands and breweries owned by people of color. Learn more on Instagram at Uptown Beer Society. This week on Meet and 3, we continue our trade series with a piquant look at the many faces of the spice trade. From the high price tag of saffron to the ubiquity of chilies and the potential ripple effect that farmer protests in India may have on the global spice market. You know, farmers are, are protesting because they feel like their lives and livelihoods are on the line. You find it in a lot of cured foods like cured meat and Parmesan cheese. Um, you also find it in ripening foods like ripe tomatoes are very high in uh, MSG. So there's sources of it all over the natural world. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Greg, how are you, buddy? Oof, that's, I'm going to take the fifth on that one. I'm taking a leaf out of your book. How about you, bud? <laughs> it's a loaded question every time. But it's <laughs> know, just so right? habitual to ask, you know. Um, I know. I, you would have thought that about a year into this thing, we would have we would have come up with something new besides like, hey, how's it going? Or how are you doing? But I don't know. Old old habits die hard. Speaking of old habits, uh, indoor dining is back this weekend, apparently, in New York City. a limited capacity. We're, we're going to inch back into it, 25%, um, which I think is odd, given that just over in Jersey City, they're at 35%, and you can travel, you know, it's a 30-minute trip to go there. Uh, you know, I don't understand why we don't get synced up, at least with the surrounding, you know, municipalities. Yeah, it is. It is weird. It was also weird. I, I went out to Jersey City. You know, I, I left the five boroughs by all of, you know, five miles uh, about a month ago when indoor dining was completely shut down. And it was super weird to get off the path train and be like, oh, those those people are in that restaurant. How how very weird. Um, and it's kind of you, you and I were talking about this a little bit. There's been a, a New Yorker article that's been making the round, certainly in. Um, you know, industry world, but I've been seeing it pop up on the Instagram pages of some of the daywalkers that I'm friends with that essentially is calling out the city of New York and asking why 
open indoor dining now? Why does this make sense? You know, there when everything shut down in December, there were, uh, I think, over 3000 new cases in the city a day. And that number has not gone down. It has grown by 65 percent to yeah. a point where, you know, now it's apparently safe to reopen again. And I don't particularly want to beat that drum again at the top of the show because we have done that a lot in the past 12 months. But I bring this up to say that it makes me very happy to see a non-industry publication. Like this wasn't, you know, Eater or like Liquor.com. This was The New Yorker. This is going to be seen by a lot of people, people who might go out to these restaurants and get in their heads and make them think, yeah, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe we should, if we get the impulse to go out to a restaurant, examine it and see if this is really the right thing to do and see if this is really something that we want to do and can we do it safely. And to me, I, I'm i going to, in my constant Yukon Cornelius style mining for silver linings, I'm going to take that as a good sign. Yukon <laughs> Cornelius, with the reference. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, kids. Google it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think I, I missed it this year. I don't think I saw it this year. I did too, because um, I didn't even realize it was Christmas until like everything was closed on December 24th. Yeah. Um, you know, we're moving cautiously forward. Um, we are allowed 25%. You know, they said Sunday and then they backed it up to Friday about a week later. But we're just opening Sunday for Valentine's Day. We're limiting the room to eight people at a time. We're doing four seatings of eight we are fully committed. We've already been booked out. Uh, and then we're closing again. We're not going to be open for another two to three weeks. That's uh, our that's our choice as a business. Um, some because of health concerns and some because of simple business uh, concerns. Um, I mentioned off air that I'm doing the cooking. You know, I was a chef for a long time. I'm doing the cooking for, for Valentine's Day. Obviously, I'm making all the drinks for Valentine's Day. Uh, we're doing a to-go bag. Uh, so I'm making all the food prep for that. Um, that people can pick up and take home and sort of finish at home. Um, but the reason that I'm doing the cooking is because throughout the you know time between uh, you know December and now, when we closed on December, I think it was December 11th that we had to close indoor dining. Um, you know we've lost a lot of employees that had to you know kind of move on. Some some literally left the city. Some left uh, the state of New York. Uh, some just had to go on and get another position to take care of their, themselves and their families. So suddenly we find ourselves, it's no longer, and I, I kind of predicted this back in the past, we're not reopening the bar. It's a grand opening. I have to hire new staff. I have to hire a chef. I have to hire a manager. I have to hire bartenders. Um, and we're completely depleted on inventory. You know, We've kind of run as lean as we could run all this time. So to reopen is not simply to reopen. To reopen is to grand open. Uh, all the same energy, effort, and um, moving pieces that are involved in a grand opening are, are, are at play. So we're just going to do Valentine's Day as a sort of gesture to our public that, yes, we are here. Yes, we will be back. Um, but then we're going to shut down for probably at least two. We're, we're, we're contemplating two to three weeks to get hired, get trained, get staffed, get stocked, uh, and get back into business. So, you know, you got to walk before you run. I know. And I and I love that idea of, you know, hey, we we are still here for you, but we also recognize the reality of the situation. So this isn't uh, a grand opening for ever. This is a grand opening for today. You know, call me tomorrow and see. But that's got to be weird, though, to to go through all that prep and all that, uh, you know, 
rigmarole and the work that goes into opening a restaurant and know that you're going to do it for a day, not even for a whole day, for like two services a night and then put it back on ice again for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, as mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm doing the cooking and we literally have you know, nothing in, in the house. So we're, 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 we're kind of down to even the point where all the staples are gone. So you say to yourself, I'm going to make, uh, you know, whatever it is you're going to make. I'm going to make a sandwich. It's like, well, okay, we need bread and mayonnaise and lettuce and tomatoes and whatever we're going to put on. Like we have nothing. We're starting from zero. Need salt, need pepper. You know, like we got to go. This, it's like moving into a new apartment. There's nothing here and you want to make dinner. You need literally everything. So it's um, it's a daunting task, and of course I've made it more difficult than it should be uh, for myself, <laughs> um, you know. And uh, so I was in the kitchen from uh, uh, yesterday. I got in there at around noon, cleaned cleaned the place up because it's just been sitting, you know, like a ghost ship, um, and then started cooking it around two. I left at around eleven last night. Uh, we're going to finish up the uh, early show today, and then I'm going to head straight in, and I'll probably be there till eleven or so tonight. Uh, and same again tomorrow and the next day to get everything ready to go. You know, we sold several of the to-go bags. Uh, we were fully committed for 32 people on, on Sunday. So it's a lot to do. And it's just me. Oof. Well, good luck, man. Well, <laughs> afterwards, after after all of this is done, you know what you can relax with? Uh, some whiskey, I hope. Some whiskey and some chocolate. Uh, bourbon and chocolate specifically. And to talk to us about that... We have Elizabeth McCall, the assistant master distiller from Woodford Reserve. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about chocolate and whiskey just in time for Valentine's Day. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here and I'm excited to drink some bourbon with you all and eat some chocolate. It's going to be good. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay on that. I'm not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, no, I'm just kidding. I'm super excited about it. This is like, <laughs> I got a care package of like two of my favorite things yesterday. I was like whiskey and chocolate bars. Excellent. Mm. Um, yes. But before we get to that, so Elizabeth, you were one of the youngest female distillers in the country. And not only that, you are a second generation whiskey professional. So talk, talk to us a little bit about, what it was kind of like to to grow up in this business and then eventually move into it and, and get where you are today. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah. My mom worked for Seagram's. Um, and when I was little, it didn't really dawn on me the significance of that. And it honestly didn't really dawn on me the significance of her working at an alcohol company um, during a time. She was there in the late 70s, early 80s. And just a time where, you know, she talks about it now and she's like, yeah, I had no, I was the only woman managing a bunch of, well, union people, which, you know, whatever that, you know, that's just a whole, I mean, no matter how you feel about unions, like they're, they have rules and that's a hard thing to navigate. And she was doing that. And then being one of the only women in a room of all men. And I guess that kind of gave me the gusto I need or or whatever. I mean, I don't feel like it's really that challenging for me to um, be in the position that I'm in. Um, But it it definitely, I don't know what it would be like if she hadn't been in that role and doing those things. Um, So it definitely does. Right. It seems like it it seems like if you if you grew up in that, if your mom was already doing that and you were a young person, you didn't see it as odd, right? Yeah, well, exactly. And that's something people, you know, it's like having Kamala Harris as our vice president. I mean, just seeing somebody in that role 
is so impactful and you don't realize that it's impactful. You know, you just don't. And you can, I've heard people make arguments like, oh, that it doesn't matter so much or I don't know, but I'm like, it does. It does matter when you see somebody who looks like you, you're like, oh, I can do that. And it doesn't, it takes the uh, ostentatious, you know, craziness of it away. And you're like, oh, this is approachable. I can do that. And so I think that's why in my journey, I've just never thought I can't do it. You know, I just always like, oh, sure. And then it was like when getting promoted to assistant master distiller, it was just kind of like, cool. Like this is where I thought I would be eventually, but it happened faster than I thought and which was awesome. And, um, and that's kind of always been my attitude. I just, I've always, uh, you know, I think it's funny. I look at, um, we have these, we did like a 10 year reunion, like a long time ago for high school. And it was like, what's your goals? Where do you want to be in a few years? And mine, I set the bar so low. I was like, God, I was really crushing it. Like, you know, just trying to make sure that I could succeed or feel successful. It was like, I hope that I'm in a job that I enjoy and, uh, still riding horses. Like it's like (laughs) the most basic thing. And I was like, awesome. And it just makes me think of like, that was me when I started my job at Brown Foreman. It was like, I just want to know what to do with the samples when I show up at work as a sensory technician. Like when they come in, I want to know what, what sensory tests do I run? And that's it. And then I just keep like doing, but then I push myself to do more because I do want to do more. I don't know what that says about me, but <laughs> it means I'm always like succeeding in some way, even though the bar is really low. <laughs> I mean, I think it's it, it says a little bit that you've just normalized the situation, you know. Yeah, yeah. Right. It, it you, I hate to like kind of maybe throw what's seemingly obvious from my chair. You're you're just looking at the world like like any regular man would. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I can do th- I can do this. This is normal. I'm going to keep moving forward. Right. Exactly. Yeah. In, thank you. In, I mean, in your is. field, though, right? Which where it's just because you're the uncommon person, you don't see yourself as the uncommon person. So you're just it's it's casual and relaxed. And I think that probably is unusual and but but it's so usual to you that you don't see it or sense it. And so you're just kind of you're just kind of carrying on and moving forward. I, I think it's great. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. I mean, I I I I, I sort of want to know. I mean, yeah. I, I second everything that that. Souther said absolutely and I think it's kind of you know it's like um makes me think of you know when you go up to someone who's like really in the zone if they're like I don't know bowling or something like that I don't know I don't bowl but I imagine if like someone's working on like a perfect game if you went up to them and they were like really sort of dialed in and really just kind of doing it because they loved it and they were really feeling themselves that day and you go up to them and you go hey you got a perfect game going they'd kind of go I do you know and it's and and I I I almost you know and again to echo what Souther said, coming from my chair, looking the way I look, being the way I am, I'm observing this process as an outsider, but I feel, I almost kind of feel like that's the goal, you know, to make it to the point where, you know, we're not celebrating, you know, oh, the youngest female distiller in America. We're just like, this person is a distiller and they're crushing it at their job. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's how I approach it. Cause I, I forget people are like, oh my gosh, you're this or that. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess I am, but I don't put myself in that context ever. I'm just, I show up to work. I really, what is most important to me is the respect, um, and the, just the, um, of my team. I mean, I want them to see that I'm a part of the team. I don't view myself as anything 
above or outside of them. I am a production worker with the Woodford Reserve team. I highly regard their opinion on how we produce our whiskey, and and I want their feedback from the people who are our hourly workers, which I think are the most important workers, honestly, all the way up through the management team. It's just, those are my people. And so for me, I just, I'm a part of them and I don't consider myself above them ever. So that's important yeah. to me. God, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, talk to me a little bit about uh, your, your, when you began with Brown Foreman, you were sensory expert. Is that the, is that the right term? Um, sensory technician. Okay. Well, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It sounds quite technical. Can you please break that down for me? What the hell does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, well, basically the technician part, I was in charge of setting up tasting panels, uh, washing dishes, organizing our samples, uh, and then entering data and writing up very basic reports. Um, and I was in the quality control side of that. So basically what that meant was that new whiskey. So all the whiskey that comes off the still of all the brands that Brown Foreman produces, they go to the sensory lab located here in Louisville and uh, we do a quality check. So we check it against a standard, making sure there's no negative defects in that whiskey. And then we do that for maturing whiskey. We do that for formulated products, the flavors that would go into them. So you think of, you know, our Jack Daniels, Tennessee honey has flavors in it. So we check those flavors. Uh, so it's all those sorts of the quality side of it, looking for any negative defects or differences um, in the whiskey. And that was where I got started. And so I discovered a strong passion for quality working in that role and to understand the quality of our whiskey and where any negative defect would come from requires you to sort of um, figure out the production process and know the production process really well so that you can help identify any issues that um, may happen. And it's, it's an evolving, I feel like I'm constantly learning things. So um, you're never a hundred percent at it, I guess. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, quality such a subjective thing? Are we talking about like a room full of people that are nosing and tasting? Or are we talking about a gas chromatograph? Like what, what level okay. of? Good question. So we do have a gas chromatograph and we use that to kind of set a standard. Um, so when we look at like our yeast strain and like what flavor notes are yeast, have they mutated at all? So our micro team is utilizing that to really understand um, that flavor profile. But when we use our sensory team, it is, literally the human beings. So um, it's it's looking at, can you pick up on this? And then referring it back to a standard that says, the standard is this should be good. Um, and then um, we have defect samples. So we'll spike samples with um, quality issues that could potentially happen. And we will um, put that in a in a panel and see if our, make sure our panelists can pick that up. So we have about 15 highly trained uh, panelists. And uh, so myself and Chris Morris sit on that panel um, and make sure that the quality stays is maintained. So it's, it's, um, and it's a regular constant thing that we're checking people. And if you get a marker wrong, so say that there's a sample that's spiked with a defect, like a um, musty character or aldehyde, they have to score that down. And if they don't, they're considered broken for that panel. And um, their data is not used in that panel. 
So they're not, so it's, it's very so you're, calibrated. You're, so you're often setting them up for a bit of failure, kind of yeah. catch them to catch them to just to make sure that they're, so you're testing the quality of the, the, the liquid, but you're testing the quality of the testers at the same time. Exactly. Because you can, you're only as good as your instrument, basically. If you have a broken instrument, what's the point of even testing? You know, I mean, you're, you're not getting anything. So we do that at headquarters. They're kind of the end all be all because we can get really nitty gritty with them. And then at the production facilities, it's quick and dirty sensory evaluation, but we do monitor them. So they have their, their checking markers as well. And um, we're making sure that they are catching any defects because, I mean, we are only as good as your last quality check and human beings are the ultimate. So if, if a bottle of whiskey gets out there to the consumers that is bad, that's terrible for Woodford. I mean, that, that, is detrimental to our brand. I mean, we set our, we pride ourselves on our quality. So if there's something bad that gets out there, that could be, it could be the end of, you know, what Woodford, because think if you pick up a bottle of whiskey that all of a sudden you're like, Oh God, that tastes terrible. You're not going to go back and revisit it. So um, we really pride ourselves and I do certainly pride myself on the whisk, the quality of our whiskey. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. That, that's, that's awesome. I really, I really love that. Also, Greg, how about that? I know what a gas chromatograph is. Did you think I knew that? <laughs> I was I was very impressed. <laughs> well, but but Souther, and correct me if I'm wrong. This is one of those machines where like it shoots uh, something through a substance and it breaks it into a visible light spectrum, and then you can tell what's in it based on that. But you and I can't use one of these things. What with you know the color blindness and everything. I didn't right? say I know how to use it. I just said I know what it is, <laughs> what it is, and what it does. I mean, honestly, I don't know how to use it i know people who know how to use it our <laughs> chemistry team they are genius and they know how to use it and they can interpret the results for me <laughs> and yeah. and they can see colors which i believe is important to the it's process pretty, too. it's high it's high on the list of the, the requirements yeah. um well that stuff is fascinating to me i love i never knew that there were like you know uh, uh you know injected uh, defects on purpose to make sure that the instrument of the human being is still in working order. I think that's, uh, that's new information for me. And I think that's really cool to learn. Cool. Yeah. I, I um, love it. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We're going to come back and keep talking to uh, Elizabeth McCall from Brown Foreman and Woodford Reserve. And then we're going to talk about some chocolate and whiskey. So stay tuned. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Uptown Beer Society. They're a craft beer gang dedicated to making memorable collaborations with New York City brands and breweries owned by people of color. Their Bronx Culture Series featured three beers made in collaboration with Gun Hill Brewery, inspired by the Bronx and Latinx culture. Uptown Beer Society works with underrepresented brewers and beer bar owners to highlight and celebrate cultural gems that make New York City so special. Learn more about their unique beers and where to find them when you follow them on Instagram at Uptown Beer Society. And we are back. You are listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, today we're talking with Elizabeth McCall from Woodford Reserve. We've got some Woodford Reserve in front of us right here, as well as some chocolate. And Elizabeth, I am very excited for you to tell me about what's going on with all this. 
Yeah, so this is a really fun pairing that um, our local team here in Kentucky, had. they've been working on it for a while, and then they were like, the brand team was like, we want to make this a big deal because who doesn't like bourbon and chocolate? I mean, there are a few strange people out there who don't like chocolate, um, but I love chocolate, and so I was all about this. And we, the way it blossomed was that I got came home with a bunch of different types of chocolate and sat down and did my homework. I paired, I tasted the chocolate, drank some Woodford double oaked, wrote taste notes. It's and hard work, landed. right? Yeah, it yeah. was very hard work. And my husband was like, <laughs> I'll help you with that. <laughs> so, You're like, no, 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 I got it. I got it. Don't put yourself yeah. out for me. Yeah. So we you know, sat down and, and wrote taste notes and landed on just, I mean, kind of the obvious, but um, white chocolate, milk chocolate, and dark chocolate to bring out different flavor notes in the Woodford Double Oaked. Because Woodford Double Oaked as a bourbon, it is very sweet, aromatic forward, but there are a lot of other flavors going on in that glass other than just sweet aromatics. So each of these chocolates bring out different areas of flavor. So it's a lot of fun to, to see how one glass of, of bourbon will shift with what chocolate you're eating. That's amazing. Um, so what? So what is the? Uh, I have my Woodford Reserve Double Oaked Bourbon right here, and I've got, uh, as you mentioned, I have some milk chocolate with almonds. I got some dark chocolate, and I got some white chocolate here. So what is your suggested pairing for this particular whiskey? Okay, so uh, well, all of them. So first of all, <laughs> <laughs> that's the right answer. Well, I think I think first all of all, them. let's talk about what what double oaked is. What is that? What is that? And what does yeah. it mean? Yeah. So let's talk about double oaked because, you know, there are a lot of there's it's a growing category that uh, uh, Woodford Reserve. I'm going to take the, the claim that we started this double oaked category because now you'll see other brands that have are using that terminology. And um, it's one that we coined with Woodford double oaked when we put this out on the shelves in 2012. And um, it is a two barrel process. So it starts out as our standard Woodford Reserve Distiller Select Bourbon. So balanced, complex across all five areas of flavor. Um, and we take that whiskey as it's fully matured. It's ready to go into bottle to consumer. But instead of putting it into a bottle, we put it into a second barrel. And the second barrel is a heavily toasted, lightly charred barrel. And that it's the first whiskey that ever had a second barrel made specifically for finishing. So this is a new charred oak barrel we make at our cooperage. And um, we do the toasting on it. So it's just heating the wood up. It's not setting it on fire. It goes through a heat tunnel and um, heats the wood up for 40 minutes. And that 40 minute time, gets into a layer of the wood called the lignin layer of the wood, which is where all the vanillin lives. So when you have a beautiful buttery Chardonnay, it's been aged in a heavily toasted wine barrel. So those ling those va vanilla notes, caramel, butterscotch, those are all being blossomed. And then you put it through a char tunnel and we flash char it. So just like up to 10 seconds. And that's going to just caramelize those wood sugars and makes it a new charred oak barrel. So therefore this is still a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, but it's a finishing process and it's finished in that second barrel for up to 12 months. And we batch it based on getting, achieving this flavor profile where it's that buttery caramel. If you all want to take a sip and join me as I talk about it, it's like butterscotch is like way ahead of you. <laughs> no, always the first thing you get on that. And like even toasted marshmallow. I mean, it's just 
it's the like this is the, <laughs> the bourbon that I first started drinking just on the rocks because it's very approachable and just very friendly. It's like the most friendly hello you'll get from a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. I guarantee that. And I mean, and it's that the proprietary process that we use. So it's not just any second barrel. I mean, it's that heavy toasting that gives you this flavor profile and you won't find a flavor profile like this in any other whiskey out there. People try to come close, but it's just, it's so unique Mm, and it's so good. I know. Yeah. And I love the, um, the expression that you use, like the friendly hello, because it really is, it just kind of has the, you know, the, sort of smoothness and the and the charm of like a you know a polite house guest when you take yeah. that first sip yeah <clears throat> it's like oh because it, it's not abrasive i mean it's 90.4 proof it is not abrasive it is very easy and i know i mean i and it's it's easy for me to say that because i i drink a lot of whiskey and i can <clears throat> drink high proof whiskey and it does not the shock value is not really there but um with a from a proof proof standpoint but I tell you, I mean, even people that are not really bourbon drinkers can drink this whiskey, but even the most refined palates can appreciate it and find all the different nuances that are in the glass. So it's, it's, it's perfect in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) No bias or anything, right? Well, yeah. I mean, (laughs) you sit in a a, a position of power though. If you, you're, you're tasting lots of whiskey a lot of the time, I'm certain you're not just tasting your own juice. You're, you're comparing and contrasting, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you've got you've got an opinion, and your opinion has some you know sort of evidence to back it up. So I don't think it's out of your bounds to say that. Um, so what, as the consumer, are we to do with all these chocolates here? Because you know, okay. I'm on record all the time as saying I'm the bitter guy. Sweets are not really my thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, so this is going to be fun. So the way that this is set up is that we always start a tasting. So when people are doing this, you take a sip, you ground your palate in the Woodford double oaked. So we've done that already. And then I'm going to have everybody start with the white chocolate because you basically want to go from fatty rich to the more sharp spice. So it's white chocolate, milk chocolate, then dark chocolate. And each of these chocolates, they're going to bring out different notes. So the white chocolate, the, the process of doing this is take a small bite of your white chocolate, let it coat your palate, and then take a small sip of your double oaked And um, what I found with this, you know, everybody's palate is different and you have unique experiences, which give you those different, you're going to get different flavor notes than I will. But in general, the white chocolate really, I think, brings out the fruit character in the double oaked and the sweet aromatics are there in the background. So it was like, um, you get cooked peach and banana. And really I thought the best descriptor was like banana pudding because, you know, banana pudding is bananas are those tropical, wonderful, creamy notes. And then you get that just creaminess of the vanilla, the white chocolate, and it pairs so well and it shifts the way double oaked tastes on your palate. Same whiskey that you just tasted, but now it tastes different because of the white chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, Southern boy myself and, you know, grandma's nanner, nanner pudding. Yeah. Mm. This is definitely coming, <laughs> coming forward. Yeah. I definitely get some, some more of those spice notes off of it. It almost kind of was like a rice pudding to me a little bit where that Ooh. it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's creamy, it's rich, but there's like a slight, like spicy undertone that, that makes it so that it's not just, you know, 
sweet and fat on your tongue. There's like a little yeah. little well, intrigue underneath. Exactly. And that's what's so fun about doing this is because a lot of times, because obviously it's like, well, double oaked is obviously sweet aromatic and chocolate is obviously sweet. So when you put them together, they tend to cancel each other out and you'll see the other things going on. And that's the beauty of this. So you will see spice, you know, it just, it comes out because it, spice exists in double oaked. It's not all sweet aromatics. There's spice in there. So, um, yeah, I mean, you're going to get that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I was I was a little uh, concerned because I'm not a big white chocolate fan. And the things I like about, you know, this bourbon where, you know, it's it's rich, it's a little buttery. It's got some vanilla notes on there where it's subtle here. Like those things just kind of hit you like a steamroller in white chocolate. And so yeah. I was worried that the two together would be kind of a, a chocolate chocolate chip cookie. But you're right. It sort of mutes those in the whiskey and brings out some some other supporting characters in here, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's what I love about this. Um, so now we've had the white chocolate. Now taste the milk chocolate and see how it changes. And this, I think, is you're going to be surprised by the shift, too, because just changing the chocolate, same whiskey, brings out different flavor notes. And this has the almond, and it's got the almond in it. So for me, you know, this is really spice, wood, and then a little bit of fruit there in the background. Yeah, I was excited to see the chocolate with almond because I, I was thinking already, like, I would like to just maybe have some toasted almonds with this whiskey. Yeah, you know? and you can. I mean, the, 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 you can kind of do, do whatever you want. <laughs> you can have you're, it all, Southern. You're, you're like, do what you want. Do you want to eat that with some roasted beets? Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I do not like beets. I've tried, and I do not. They taste like dirt. They do, but that's what you like about them. They're no. musty, dirty. Ugh. Barnyard floor. Uh, yeah. yeah. Milk chocolate with almond and the bourbon is like this. So we, we're leaving banana pudding behind and now we're moving towards pecan yeah. pie. Exactly. But, pecan but pie. But kind of savory, sort of a chocolate pecan situation. But almonds, yep. obviously. I mean, um, and there's like cinnamon notes, even like a little hint of cedar wood, like the wood. I was getting really cedar, yeah, life. off the nose immediately when I first cracked the bottle open. I, I was getting a bit of cedar notes. <clears throat> um, which is again a very inviting aroma. Yeah, it's. Mm -hmm. I just have I said I love this whiskey. I mean, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> hey, it's it, you know, not everybody gets to love their job. Yes, that's it's true. A for, it's a position of fortune to to be able to say you love your job. I think uh, overwhelmingly the folks in our field tend to enjoy their job. So I think we're. Among the lucky few. I don't know if every accountant out there thinks to himself, man, I just love my job. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I hope they do. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I hope to... they do. Me too. Yeah, but I hope I... they do too. But we still get to drink more bourbon than they do, probably. Exactly. At least, at least we get to drink more bourbon than they do and call it work. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. I was like, well, they probably can drink plenty of bourbon, but we get paid to do it. <laughs> That's cooler. So... <laughs> Uh, okay, you're all ready for the dark chocolate? Yeah, let's this hit should, it. You all have the dark chocolate with sea salt, don't you? Correct. I think. Okay. I was going to say. Yes. Um, so the dark chocolate with sea salt. You can do this. And again, you can do it with plain milk chocolate if you don't have milk chocolate with almonds. And you can do dark chocolate without the sea salt. But what the sea salt adds, why I thought this was such a great um, one to, to taste with, is the fact that it brings out these spice leather, like just, it's so awesome. And I, I personally really like 
those sorts of notes um, in my whiskey. I love a big, bold whiskey, just like I love a big, bold red cab. Like I just enjoy that. Um, so for me, it was really cool that the way that it shifted to leather, tobacco, like coffee. And then what was interesting is I had, as it sat on my palate, I got like melted peanut butter finish. Mm. Yeah, I definitely see that. Um, that little bit of salt is turning the sort of, yeah, you know, I always say that a lot of American whiskeys have a peanutty, you know, peanut shell. I usually say it's kind of like the peanut shell quality on the finish. Um, yeah, this is that salt is turning those peanuts into peanut butter Yeah, with mm. chocolate. Oh, man, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, this is this is like one of those like chocolate peanut butter pie things that you. Get. Yeah, I guess so I'm, this... I'm just on such a pie train, but maybe it's all maybe pie, it's a very versatile medium. So. It is. You've got all kinds of pie. You've got like, I mean, shoot, if you go to England, I watched the British baking show and they've got like meat pie is like a normal thing. And I'm like, since when was that pie other than chicken pot pie? But yeah. Oh, no, it's amazing. They're they're decades ahead of us in terms of pie technology. It's so good. Yes, yes. Yeah, this, um, is, this is fantastic. I have to admit, when the when this care package arrived, I saw that it was dark chocolate with sea salt, and the tiny part of me was like, "Did they mean to send the sea salt one?" Because I don't necessarily, I would, I wasn't sure how that would go with like a chocolate and bourbon pairing, something that's meant to be very kind of like you know decadent and desserty. But you're right; it does elevate and and bring out a lot of those like nuttier kind of tobaccoier notes in the in the whiskey. Mm-hmm. I think that's super cool. Yes, tobacco yeah. and leather. Yeah. It's just cool. I mean, it's just and what again, what I what's so fun about this is like we did not change the whiskey. You've been it's all Woodford double oaked, but you get all these different notes because of the chocolate. And if if the the flavor notes didn't exist in your glass of double oaked, you wouldn't be tasting them. That's the other cool thing to keep in mind. It's like, oh yeah, this whiskey is so complex. There's so much going on. Um it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's almost kind of like, you know, one of those Fantasia things where you have the entire orchestra and then you can kind of like turn off various instruments and kind of isolate what specific ones are doing based yeah. on what you prime your palate for, which uh, tasting is fascinating, man. The human it body is. is such a crazy thing. It is. It really <laughs> so, is. It's cool. I, I am loving this double oaked bourbon, but I want to talk a little bit before we sign off here about double, double oaked bourbon. What, what, just what, (laughs) what is that? (laughs) Oh, our, what did our brand manager, he said, it's like our unicorn. I mean, it is the coolest thing. So basically Woodford double, double oaked is, um, sort of our, it was, I don't want to say it was an oops, but it was an oops. It was one of those. So our <laughs> maturation on Woodford double oaked is up to 12 months in the second barrel. Well, we had a few barrels that they didn't get lost. I mean, I, you don't really lose barrels. You kind of forget about some, but you don't lose them. Um, <laughs> they and, don't go running away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't lose them, you know, um, the government would like, really hurt you if you actually lost barrels. Um, 
but no, we, we just had a few barrels that, um, it went over that maturation. So it went in to start being like 20 months or, you know, and we're like, shoot, uh, well, it's no longer cause it, the flavor profile changes significantly. And so it is no longer Woodford reserve double oaked. It, it no longer hits that the flavor profile that we have set. So therefore we couldn't bottle it. We couldn't, uh, we could have put them like blended it off in a batch and you would have never tasted it. But we tasted Chris Morris and I tasted it. And we're like, man, this is amazing. Like, this is so good. And we were working on, it was 2015, working on a distillery series. So an offering that you could get only at the distillery as a thank you for coming to visit us. And we bottled this and it went nuts and it has just continued to grow in popularity. So it's Woodford Reserve Double Oaked, but instead of aging 12 months, it's aged um, to 24 months in that second barrel. And it shifts from being this buttery, creamy notes to rich, bold, roasted coffee. I mean, it's like having that dark chocolate paired all the time. I mean, that's what it does. It shifts it to those bold spice, leather, tobacco, um, cocoa, like dark chocolate sort of stuff. And it's, it is awesome. I mean, my, my husband and I were drinking, we got our bottle. I, I got myself a bottle, you know, everybody thinks, oh, you just get one. And I don't just get one. Like this is allocated. <laughs> They're like, you know what it tastes like. You don't need your own bottle. No. Um, but I did, I got myself a bottle and that we were drinking it the other night and I'm like, this is so sacred. Like, don't, <laughs> we got to really savor this stuff. Um, because it, it is so special and and um, people are just loving it. I mean, they wait. We had people, it sold out at our visitor center in one day and people were, were late, waiting in line in their cars, you know, because of COVID, we've got all these restrictions. And so they were lying down McCracken Pike to the distillery uh, about four hours. I think people were waiting. Whoa. It's insane, insane, but it, wow. it's what, really good. Yeah. When you say limited, what how many, like, what, how many bottles are we talking um, I think we limited it to four per person. I, I, I mean, remember. how many bottles did you oh, produce? Um, we produced a minimal amount of cases. I can't remember how many cases we do exactly because it's only limited. It's limited to the state of Kentucky. So it's yeah. only sold at our distillery and then select Kentucky retailers. Um, so it's a small quantity. They're sold in uh, three, seven, five bottles. So oh, wow. little pint bottles. And um there it's can you get it at Toddy's? Huh? Hey, Damon. Hey, he's here. Hey, buddy. <laughs> I, I can barely hear you back there, though. Can you get it at Toddy's? You know that shop, Toddy's? I don't even know. I don't know Toddy's. Oh, yeah. It's like, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you. Now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a secret. It's, uh, well, I'm going to Google it. Just so. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you can. It's just outside of Lexington. I can't remember exactly what town it is, but, um, that's where I would go when I was like back in the day when I was visiting Kentucky a lot. Um, I'd go there and just find like, like, I mean, th that was the place where you could still get bottles of Pappy 13 rye for like 40 bucks, you know, yeah. and I would just clean house, but they, they had so much of it. It was just like kind of crazy. Anyway, they, they always have like really cool stuff. Um, you know, they always have like all the birthday bourbons and you know, that's like that stuff that you're, that sells out everywhere else. Like they always have it. And they don't really advertise it or anything. So it's always a, it's a nice little secret when you're in that part of the world. All right, guys, let's talk a little bit about, about the expressions that, that Woodford is putting out now. Because you've sort of come full circle. And now you're doing kind of all the expressions of American whiskey that are available, correct? Correct. So, you know, coming out of Prohibition in 1935, they, the government said that we would 
produce. These are the four, the four different types of American whiskey. You've got bourbon, rye, malt, wheat. And so we wanted to produce all those different types at the Woodford Reserve Distillery. And, um, and so we, we've done that. And um, it's really, I believe we're one of the only brands out there where you can taste this, um, all these different types of whiskey under the same brand. So, I mean, I know distilleries make different types of whiskey and you can taste them, but this is all the same brand. And the only thing, they're all produced the exact same way. The only thing that we're changing is the grain recipe with them. So it's truly, I mean, you talk about just being a sensory nerd and in your palate and trying to understand flavor or whatever. I mean, that's my background. And this is the best way to taste and be able to tell the difference between the different types of whiskey, because you're only the only difference, the only variable in there is the grain recipe. So it's not, you're not, we're not changing flavor based on proof, maturation, nothing. It's all just based on that grain recipe, shifting the grains around and it gives you such an impactful flavor difference. It's really cool. Nice. I actually have a bottle of the, uh, the four grain from like way back in the day, like I think like 12 years oh, ago yeah. or more, maybe. Um, it's one of my favorite Woodford's. I'm surprised you uh, have that. That's one you cannot get that anywhere. You, can, well, you can't if you know about that secret okay. store. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe on the on the black market. You gotta go to Tommy's. <laughs> <laughs> no, I worked at I worked at Linnell's uh, in in Brooklyn, oh. which was like, you know, Linnell Smothers, yeah. famous whiskey maven. So like we had all the we had all the cool shit <laughs> basically, and so you know I kind of like she was kind of my my teacher in the ways of like what rare American whiskeys were. So, um, yeah. Is that the but, same but actually, that's the down time, in Birmingham now? Yep. Yep. Love her. Exactly. The very same. Yeah. She's crazy as hell. Yeah. Uh, having that on my resume has like gotten me every job in this uh, <laughs> industry. Just Cause they're like, they're like one, you got to know what you're talking about, but two, man, you can put up with anything. <laughs> she was, <laughs> she was a wild child. It was, but like, like we, we got along famously. Um, but yeah, by the time that I got that, but when I was working there, the Sonoma Kutcher finished. That was like the was what's called like the Masters Collection or something like that. Uh, yes, I can't remember. Yeah, and then so like the the four grain was the release that came out before that. So we had a couple of bottles around. I was like, well, I should probably get one of these two bottles, right? And she was like, yeah, if you if you want to have like some something really like rare and legit in your collection you should probably get this one now before it's gone. And she's like, I'm probably going to take the, she's like, you know what? I'm taking the other one. You take this one. <laughs> so that's how I got it. And it's in my bar in Brooklyn. You should probably get a bottle like this one, but not this one because it's mine. You should go out and find another one. Yeah, just exactly. Like it. <laughs> Actually like our, our whiskey, Red Hook Rye. Um, Cause that was our, our shop whiskey. Uh, I sold one of the bottles I had and that basically paid for my share of my bar. Wow. When we opened wow. Grand Army, that's how that's how rare that is. So I learned how to collect with you know Souther is a, a consumer, not that's a collector. Correct. He always famously says, but you know, like maybe you could sell one of those overhaul bottles and open up your next bar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, rather drink them. He's, he's got a case of uh, well, I don't know how much is left, but he, Elizabeth, he he bought a case at Sotheby's auction, a case of 1909 private stock old overhaul rye. Oh. Yeah. All from like wow. a, a whole case of it. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I spent more than this a year. You were drinking it and enjoying it. Oh hell yeah! That's <laughs> awesome. I got two bottles no, that's left. That's even better. Uh, like that makes me so happy because it's yeah. meant to be enjoyed. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a part of me that's a little bit pissed off that it still exists. Someone should have already drank it. Uh, but then there's a part of me that's real lucky that <laughs> yeah. I get to drink it. So, you know, like it, it, once it went into the bottle, it was meant to be drank, and it's that someone sort of, like you said, that it didn't get lost. They just forgot about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, you know, I, I spent more than a year's rent on a case of whiskey, uh, which I think. Uh, it, for me, anyway, redefined alcoholism. Alcoholism is not about how much you consume. It's about how much you spend. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, that's good. I wanted to circle back for a second. I had it in my notes and I skipped it somehow, I think, because Damon jumped in and, and threw me off. Um, when you do <laughs> the double do. Uh, the double oaked bourbon and you shift it to that second barrel, is uh-huh. it required by law that that second barrel is still a brand new barrel? Um. Only if you want to keep your bourbon designation. So, which we, you do. So, yeah. Yes. So it has to be a new charred oak barrel. If it so were to from- be a used uh, barrel, then we took our bourbon whiskey that was aged in a new charred oak barrel, and then if we put it into a used barrel, that becomes a distilled spirit specialty, and you have to call out like what it's been aged in, and it's technically no longer a bourbon. So right. we've done that for masters. Usually, it's called American whiskey. Yeah, you right. know, you're like. You know, Kentucky straight like bourbon. American. Yeah, like, yeah. And uh, like Angel's Envy does that. Like a lot of people. I mean, that's just very common. We've done that with um, different things like master's collections. We had our whiskey in a Pinot Noir barrel. Um, sure. So. so you so but I, the question I'm sort of driving towards is um, those barrels ain't cheap. So suddenly you're taking a product that normally has the expense of one barrel and you're adding the expense of a second barrel, right? Yeah, yeah. And man, we really – our Cooperage guys do not enjoy making these barrels because they just take so long to make because it's like 40 minutes in that toasting hall. Um, and it just hurts their overall like numbers for the day. They're trying to crank out barrels and we're like, this takes a long time. But I was uh, I was in the Cooperage and I was walking through there and I kind of like speaking of lost barrels I kind of got lost from the the tour group and uh, there was no one in and I told this story when we had Chris on the show years ago uh, he, and he did not approve of this situation but he's very very straight laced guy uh, I got the paint roller and the stencil that goes on the end of the barrel and I painted one of your stills with the stencil and the paint roller on my arm as a tattoo, pulled my sleeve down and then ran to rejoin the group. <laughs> and so I had, I had a, a homemade Woodford reserve tattoo from the first visit there. That's nice. All right, I'm going to start drinking some whiskey. And catch up. Well, I know exactly <laughs> where you did that. You just kind of yeah. lagged behind because yeah. it's all sitting out on the floor right there. There's yeah. stencils. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is going to be the funniest show for people to listen to because I thought we were recording at 10 o'clock. And so <laughs> sorry for being late. Uh, yeah, we're already going. I could have slept in. Uh, yeah. I, I like sped to work to get here. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> we can edit that in post. All right. Now we're just, we're, we're, I feel like we should just put this out live, you know, it's because it's real, like a fun little look behind the curtain at how the sausage is made I mean, here at the speakeasy. Well, I mean, also, you know, as the world used to be, we used to be a live show. <clears throat> Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's all, all it kind of feels odd, but, but odd, but normal at the same time. Um, so anyway, I, I kind of wanted to just touch on that for a second because I don't know what what these bottles retail for. But I have to assume then that the double oaked bourbon retails for a higher price because of those just because of the barrels. Is that true or not? Yeah, it's 
it de- whatever market you're in, it's going to vary, but it's <laughs> the, basically we're like in the most expensive the- one here in New York. <laughs> yeah, you all, it's going to be like probably around. It's still, I mean, but I want to say like maybe sixty, sixty-five dollars in your market, and sure. I mean, which is still very, very affordable for yeah. how delicious the whiskey is. You know, I yeah. mean, that's what's awesome. Yeah, no, it's not a, it's not cost prohibitive. I just was curious if you know. Obviously, that has to impact the final product in the uh, uh, you know the bottom line because <clears throat> those barrels ain't cheap. Plus, you're losing from angel share. Plus, you're you know I'm sure you probably lose a bit just shifting from barrel to barrel. Like there's got to be loss. Plus, you said I didn't even think about the fact that you're slowing down the cooperage. It's taking them a long time, longer time to toast that barrel. It's it's all fascinating stuff to me. The sort of inner mechanics of how how things come to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely is a much, there's a lot at play with that. And even getting glass bottles can be a challenge. So yeah, well, yeah, every step of the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, Elizabeth, it's been really a pleasure having you on and learning all about uh, the new Double, is it new? How long has it been out, the Double Oaked? Double Oaked's been out since 2012. Yeah, so it's not new. Um, but, but yeah, <clears throat> the distribution is, we're still growing, so um we're, we're really familiar with it here in Kentucky. It's still making its way around. Got it. <clears throat> Got it. Uh, and to taste it alongside of these chocolates, what a what a great tie-in for Valentine's Day. Are you selling a kit like this? How does someone get this? Or, or is it just go pick up a bottle and here's some chocolates we recommend and, and give, it, give it a go on your own? We just we do have we're doing a partnership with Philip Ashley, but that's at the distillery. So if people are in Kentucky and can go to the distillery, then go there. But then um, if not, I just recommend high quality chocolates. That's, you know, to pair with your double oaked. Sure. A white one, a dark one, maybe with sea salt in it and then uh, a milk chocolate with the you gave us almonds. Yeah. That's the one you recommend. Yeah. Yeah, You get does not pair particularly well with M&M's. (laughs) <laughs> I bet that it does. Be fun. I bet it, it does. might actually. Yeah, I don't know. I love That's for the next time we have you on the show. Exactly. Yeah. We can do the whole family of M M&M and M yeah, types. We, exactly. We, yeah, we could do a tasting like the classic, the peanut, yes. the crunchy. Which, by the way, the crunchy is the silverback gorilla of the uh, M M&M and M world. I do love that. But then they have the pretzel and. They have creamy Ooh, peanut butter, true. caramel. Now, I mean, they have a whole bunch. We could have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Strike what I said 30 seconds ago. It pairs awesome with M&M's. I'll I'll bring the Skittle brow. A la Homer Simpson. Uh, Well, Elizabeth, what a great pleasure to have you on the show with us today. Uh, If someone wanted to get in touch with you, uh, is there a way to do that? If they had any questions or you have an Instagram you want to pimp out? like. Definitely. So Instagram, you can find me at Elizabeth underscore O'Neill underscore McCall. Um, and I'm on Facebook too, just my name. Um, and that's about it. I don't do the Ooh. Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> it's smarter. Twitter is yeah, just where people don't. yell at each other. <laughs> uh, if you want, if you want to see two people shouting at each other at the top of their lungs on a street corner, just go to Twitter. Yeah. It's there all the time. Yeah. Or New York. Um, well again thanks so much for being on taking time away from your probably very busy job as the assistant master distiller down there at Brown Foreman Woodford Reserve um, and teaching us a bit about tasting uh, whiskey with chocolate and just talking to us about whiskey in general you're you're a font of knowledge and we're very lucky to have you on the show so thanks so much for being with us well thanks for having me it was a good time yeah Uh, Damon you want to take us out (laughs) sure (laughs) that's it for the speakeasy this week (laughs) 
a short episode for me. Uh, <laughs> check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this one. Click on the beating heart to donate to the station and keep us going. And until next time, cheers, y'all. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.